All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan, and welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm excited to introduce our guest today, John Wilzinski. John is the executive director of America Makes, the nation's leading public-private partnership for additive manufacturing technology and education. John graduated from Pennsylvania State University with a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering technology. He's worked in a variety of manufacturing positions with varying levels of responsibility, and he continued to gain experience in manufacturing while spending more than eight years at General Motors Pontiac Metal Center Division, working through a variety of positions and levels throughout the stamping organization. John, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Lisa. Good to see you. John, so for people who aren't familiar with America Make, share with us a little bit about what that partnership looks like and what do you do over there? Absolutely. So America Makes is what we call our uh, Manufacturing Innovation Institute. So there are now 16 Manufacturing Innovation Institutes in the United States, all focused on different advanced manufacturing technologies. We were the first, uh, we were founded back in 2012 and our technology focus areas around additive manufacturing are what most refer to as 3D printing. So what we're looking to do is really bring together the community around the technology, ultimately looking to increase the adoption and use of the technology. And we specifically do that by working in what we call a public-private partnership. And, And what that really means is We're trying to bring together the community from industry, both large and small, nonprofit community, government community, academic community, to understand what the problem space looks like and then try to organize a coordinated response. So we're we're really focused on applied research at the Institute, and that means we're looking to identify the topics that are you know, preventing us from being able to use the technology today and, and ultimately trying to do that in a way that helps everybody. It doesn't just solve a problem for a individual organization, but instead is, you know, creates intellectual property that can be shared across the community and used by all. Okay. And, and it also sounds like giving this attention to manufacturing, another goal is to just bring people into industry. Because you and I were talking before the show as far as just how hard it is to get people to come into manufacturing as a career and something when you have cool things like 3D printing and additive manufacturing. So talk a little bit about what you're doing in partnership to kind of change that conversation and shall we say woo people into manufacturing as a career. Absolutely. And it's, it is harder than you think, especially those of you who live in this world today and understand all of the the benefits that come and reward. You know, I, I came, as Lisa mentioned, from the automotive industry and I got to see product being produced and fenders and, you know, et cetera, being made on equipment and then taken to assembly plants. So I could, I could realize the product that I was touching every day, which is not 
it's not common for a lot of folks. And I think we have something really interesting to in additive manufacturing to help communicate more easily to students who are entering the workforce and probably more importantly, guidance counselors and parents to understand where opportunities exist. Uh, we're actually just kicked off a program within the state of Ohio. We're, we're based in Youngstown, Ohio, but it is an activity to, to go out, deploy 3D printers to a number of high schools, provide them with curricula, and but maybe most importantly, provide resources to those guidance counselors and parents to understand where opportunities in manufacturing actually exist. So it is uh, our, our education and workforce development director regularly calls additive the gateway drug to manufacturing. It is, it's a really easy space for people to get their head around. And it is, you know, from its inception, really a, a 3D um, technology. So everything about it is digital, which in some ways makes it a little easier for us to introduce it to students because all they've known is operating in that environment since they've been children. Also reaching out to guidance counselors and parents, because that's really where the, the conversation needs to get started. And also making sure that those guidance counselors have the resources, like you said, because too many times guidance counselors' sole focus is to help kids pick out college mm -hmm. and giving them that access to, hey, this is a terrific way for these kids to make a living and that gateway drug. I like that. Yeah, yeah no, it, it's a it's a absolute great need today, but it's also something that translates to the existing workforce. So if you think of incumbent workers and we see technologies changing around us every day and the need for the product that we might produce today looking different tomorrow. And it's always hard when you are focused on a product, whatever you do day in and day out, your nose down and you're just working on it. And, and the majority of the workforce operate has to operate in that environment. Part of what we're trying to do is help bring information to them, raise awareness, make sure they're well positioned. So when we think of the workforce of the future, um, it is unlikely that many of the positions from today are even defined for you know 10 and 20 years from now. So we have to be able to start creating this more adaptive workforce. That means introduction of new technologies. Again, not easy to do. And awareness is a big part of the, the challenge that we're all faced with in trying to do that. And so what are you seeing with the companies and with the organizations that you've worked with? What's working well? What are some of the best practices that you're seeing? So I think, you know, what we, we regularly tell people is you, you, you just need to put tools into the hands of, of the folks that you have working for you. It just like in many, many fields, they're, they're both the people who understand what they're doing today better than any engineer who is dreamt up the process or oversees the value stream map of what's going on. They truly do touch and feel these products every day. So they understand what works and what doesn't. Just the same, I think we've seen a lot of folks have success with introducing, you know, low dollar pieces of equipment into the hands of, and maybe it's maybe it's not the operator on the floor necessarily, but it's the skilled trades crew or the the folks responsible for the equipment, and just expose them and give them some training on what the technology is capable of, where it makes sense to use it, 
And you can put for you know hundreds of dollars a low cost 3D printer on the on the floor, maybe in the in the shop where they can start playing with it. The, the easiest entry points for the technology are around prototyping, maybe even easier is around tooling. So you know you need some kind of particular setup because it's critical that two items are aligned every time. To be able to do that overnight prior to first shift coming in creates a tremendous opportunity. And when you start to see those things click is when you see more and more adoption. And then you can, they become the champions within the organization. So what we've seen work is introduction of tools, get them some training and provide them the time to actually use the tools that you're providing. There's also a number of cases where, you know, what doesn't work is buy equipment, think it's going to lead to some specific increase in revenue, or you have to realize the cost that, and I know as a business owner and in particular, small business owner, even a thousand dollar investment isn't necessarily insignificant. You obviously have to weigh it and determine when you can pull the trigger on those kinds of things, but you also can't put it in the corner, let one person use it and, you know, let it collect dust so that it turns into something like we've all seen on the shop floor tools that got introduced by somebody that never really took off. So that, that is not an effective way to use the technology. Right. Well, and too many times manufacturing has this stigma of we've been doing it this way for 40 years. And so if it's not broken, we're not going to fix it. But by the same token, realizing that these kids that are in school now and are graduating from school are preparing themselves for jobs that don't exist yet, for products that don't exist yet. So where do you see that fine line between being flexible enough to kind of turn on a dime and getting out of that mindset of things are always going to be like this because we've been doing it this way for 50 years. Yeah. So this, this was all thrust upon us this past year. I mean, if we want to be honest, I mean, I think I'm sure that's come up more than a few times here recently in your podcast, but what we saw, and it dovetails nicely into this training topic, is there were opportunities to fill supply chain gaps that existed. It might not be the component for an aircraft that you were used to making because not too many people were flying or you know, somehow related to hospitality because no one was staying in hotels. But oftentimes the skilled workforce or the workforce that you have is plenty capable if you're able to expose them to the technology. So we saw success stories where organizations were able to introduce the technology and get their, their folks back to work quickly, working on things that were unconventional for them. And again, that's not easy to do. I mean, you, you're not going to turn around a tier one supplier or an, an OEM making automotive parts and put a thousand people back to work making face masks. I mean, that they, they're not equal. I completely understand that. But you also have to be in the position, something we're, you know, talking quite a bit about in our, you know, within the Great Lakes region, if, if and when the combustion engine starts to transition towards, you know, electrified vehicles, as we all understand is happening at, at some level, and it will continue to happen. There are a number of manufacturers who make their living daily making components for those combustion engines. What, what does that mean? It very well doesn't mean anything to them today or tomorrow or next year. 
how are they positioning themselves so that in five years or more likely, I mean, you know, whatever the, the time frame is, 10 years out when it becomes a more capable and relevant technology, what does that mean for their workforce? And if they're not adapting now, or at least starting to think about these things, they're going to be facing difficult challenges moving forward. And because some of their competitors are, I mean, that's what you're always fighting against. So it's the balance of introducing technology. It's not necessarily going to displace your current approach, but you have to continue to one of the points I wanted to make what and I forgot to when you you asked what have we seen working you know investing in the workforce just keeping your folks trained and it starts with on the job training that's how you get them to the point where they're capable you have to continue to invest in them so that they can it takes a desire on their end as well as an employee but at, at some point we all have to realize the world's going to change at a pace that it hasn't over the the decades when our parents were working in manufacturing. It's a very different world today than what it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. So we have to start to create a workforce and that's going to be tough with the existing workforce, but there's, you know, they're very capable and and well-trained people. You just have to start, you know, figuring out how you introduce them to these new concepts and, and then start to get wild and start talking about VR and all those kinds of things we're seeing the intersection between our technology and those technologies work very nicely because I know something, I, I used to have skilled trades folks work for me in, in the plant that I worked in. And I remember regularly, they were experts. They knew more than I ever would, but they didn't memorize the thousand page manuals. So they were, I mean, now today we put something in front of a, a student and they put a headset on and they can interface with where the gearbox comes out and, and uh, check clearances and do things that our parents never thought could be a reality. So how do we make sure folks are ready for that? Because you can't just turn the switch and put a headset on someone who's been working for 40 years. It's, it's not going to work very well. Well, it's, it's this gradual introduction to technology and making sure they understand how it can help them. I mean, that's obvious for any introduction of new technology. Well, and I think this past year has been a really good example of what would have happened if we would have said, what if a year and a half ago, if, what if the hospitality industry disappeared overnight? What if people stopped flying? What if combustion engines disappeared from the face of the planet because everything went electric. These are the questions that we can start asking now. And maybe we're not ready to make that change, like you said, overnight, but at least it's not going to come and surprise you when something like a worldwide pandemic comes and just the gift of of it is that it did speed up technology to a place that probably would have taken us 15 or 20 years to get to where we are now. But it also gives us the opportunity to ask that question, what if, and start to make those plans like you're seeing some of your partners doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it is, it's, it's, we've done a lot of work around pandemic response and continue to it's important that that happened and we were able to show the progress that we were, but it's more important to make sure that we learn from our lessons and figure out how do we translate that into 
creating resilient supply chains. And this is, you know, very common talk uh, right now. But I know back a year ago, this month, a year ago, we were having these conversations with folks around, you know, recovery or response and recovery. Those are the, those were the R's we were talking about then. And the dream that we were getting to the point where we were focused on resiliency, we're, we're, we're at that point now. We've seen a lot of the efforts kind of back off as conventional supply chains have caught up. But what, have, what did we learn from any of that? And how are we making sure we're implementing that? How do we make sure that if a barge gets stuck in a canal somewhere, we have an alternative path forward? And that, that's easy to use that example and, and not have to back it up because I'm just talking to you. But as we're as you think about exploring your various you know failure modes that could exist within both your process and your supply chain, you have to explore. I know we I did a lot of that in, in my past life where you you considered every option um, and weighted them. You know we need to make sure we're doing that. Hopefully we won't encounter the same kind of craziness that has happened over the past year, but change is absolutely inevitable. We're going to see it. We will have disruptions. We will have unrest. We will have all of these things that impact our business. And if we just continue to you know, do things the way we always had, then we're unlikely to survive through those things. And we saw that in a lot of cases. I and mean, not that it was anyone's fault what happened over this last year, but there were also others who reacted and were able to, you know, at least sustain themselves in the meantime. So yeah, it's a, it'll be an interesting next 10 years to, to kind of see how all of these new technologies come together while dealing with this, new reality that is a threat across everything, which is just the, the reality of living in a almost wholly cyber, you know, connected world, which means there's a lot of, you know, from a manufacturing point of view, we hear countless stories of where threats come in. And, and that's something we deal with quite a bit in our world as a, uh, a technology that is wholly digital. There are concerns of where threats come in. And, and when you start to look down into the tiers of the supply chain, you know, there's there's not a lot of folks who are able to afford the types of bodies that currently you need in place in order to deal with those kinds of threats. So lots of opportunity, um, lots of risk out there as well. But And when it comes to those threats and those failures, what are the main things that you're seeing that are, are keeping manufacturers up at night? Yeah, so this this is a really interesting world. We, we do, a at the Institute, we do a lot of work with the Department of Defense. So there, there are, you know, increased sensitivities around, you know, not necessarily every component that's manufactured at all, but just information that you have access to. And, and there is a a competency model that is being utilized right now around around manufacturing to make sure people understand what cyber maturity matrix something or other. I, I should know what CMMC stands for, <laughs> but it, it's, it's really about various stages of awareness. It's really an awareness thing. So people know where there are potential threats and, and some of it's pretty basic, knowing where your information is stored, knowing who has access to it, that those all sound relatively simple. 
until you start to think about how am I interacting with uh, my supply chain or my vendors, what are they sharing? What information do they have access to? And then as you start to move files around, uh, again, as most of manufacturing is digital, almost wholly digital at this point, we're not sending, you're not mailing a lot of files anymore. Uh, we're getting 2D drawings and having to manufacture something. So with that, there creates opportunity for a lot of cyber threats that need to be considered. So awareness is the you know, the first thing that needs to be addressed. And we, you need to understand that, that there are concerns that you should have and you need to keep that in front of you once you're through that and, and make sure your people all understand that. And then when, once you kind of meet that entry level, then you start to add on systems and, and start making sure you're monitoring things and doing maintenance properly and update doing updates as silly as all of that sounds those patches and, and that kind of update is done because they've seen potential vulnerabilities. So you have to stay on top of all of those things. Again, not easy to do as a small business owner, potentially the person or a small number of persons manages all of those activities. It has to be done because we've seen countless examples of where they actually were entry points into bottom tier of a supply chain that ultimately led to a bigger problem, you know, up the supply chain because they basically tagged along with uh, the information as it was shared from place to place. So it is certainly something to pay attention to right now. Right. Well, and as we're starting to get to the end of our conversation, what would you say when it comes to your best tip to help the manufacturers that are listening to this podcast, whether it be in the supply chain or technology or something that you've seen that could help our, our audience today? Yeah, I think I would, I would double down on the people. Um, you know, we, we have, as, as you're introducing new technologies where everyone is struggling to find work, a workforce, you know, which is, while there's a lot of displaced folks out there, you know, we, we hear from countless manufacturers that are really struggling to find bodies that are capable. So you have to make sure you're taking care of, of your folks. And what I really mean by that is, is making sure that they are trained and understand what's coming out and introduce them. The more engaged they are, ultimately, the more interested they will be in staying and, you know, staying on the right track and all of those kinds of things. Because at that point, it will make your insertion of technology easier. Because if you have them buying into what you're trying to accomplish and following your vision, it's a whole lot easier to get them behind you versus forcing it upon them because you know what's right and they're not engaged. So maybe oversimplification of, of a concept, but we've seen a lot of success as we're, I mean, we again, doing a lot of work with the Department of Defense, we also work a lot on with large installations and they have, you know, large workforce that's been around for a while. So it's not easy to introduce these new concepts, although for the types of sophisticated components that they need for the um, current military, we have to make sure that we're, we're meeting these requirements. So We've seen quite a bit of, of success and really the only way it works is to, to double down on people. Awesome. Well, John, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. If people want to get a hold of you and connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? 
So probably the easiest way is to go to our website. It is simply americamakes.us. Um, you can find me on there. Uh, I can share my email address I'm on LinkedIn, all of those kinds of things as well. Happy to talk to folks, um, especially if you've got questions, want to engage in the additive manufacturing space, we'd be happy to talk to you. All right. Well, John, again, thank you so much for joining me today. Yep. Thank you much. Thanks for having me. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.